Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Roland Frazier, and Michael E. Gerber, the author of The E-Myth. Today, I'm speaking with Nathan Hirsch, CEO of Ecom Balance and Outsource School. And we'll be talking a lot about finance and business operating systems and all the cool stuff that Nathan has been able to do. This episode is brought to you by the Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Nathan, I started my Ecom business back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. But I certainly made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it really needed to. There were times where I had self-doubt in myself as a leader. Could I lead a team of people? I had doubt in regards to, you know, the finances of the business. Could I have the cash flow to continue to sustain the business? So for our listeners, if any of you have hit those similar plateaus and you want to avoid them and also know the next steps to take, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in your subject line, say strategy audit. And then plead your case as to why I should choose you and your business to work with for this month. And don't worry if you're not selected this month, you'll be entered to win for future months to come. I also want to give a, a special shout out before introducing today's guest to Chad Rubin and thank him for referring Nathan in Ecom Balance um, to us as a guest. Chad Rubin leads uh, Prophecy. It is an AI driven um, pricing tool for Amazon sellers and e-commerce businesses. So definitely go check out his episode. Chad Rubin um, talked about ChatGBT and implementing AI into your business. And then also go check out Prophecy. But today I'm super excited to introduce you to Nathan Hirsch. Nathan is a lifelong entrepreneur and currently the CEO of Ecom Balance and Outsource School. Nathan is best known for co-founding FreeUp.net in 2015 with an initial $5,000 investment then scaling it to 12 million in yearly revenue and then having it acquired in 2019. Today, he leads Ecom Balance, an online bookkeeping service for e-commerce and digital businesses and Outsource School, a membership teaching business owners how to hire effectively online. Nathan has appeared on over 400 podcasts and is a social media personality. Him and his wife live in Denver, Colorado with their two dogs where they are foster parents. So welcome to the show, Nathan. Josh, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Nathan, I am one of your subscribers to free up back in the day. Um, that was definitely where I kind of cut my teeth initially with, you know, hiring overseas talent. And, uh, you know, I'm amazed with the business that you built there with free up. And I want to just have, you know, I think a lot of people have followed you, but for those listeners that surprisingly haven't heard about you, 
tell them about FreeUp and the team that you built there because, as you shared with me, you had built that team where you didn't really have any U.S. management staff other than yourself leading that business. So tell us more about that. Yeah, I mean, I started off as a, an Amazon seller out of my college dorm room. I, I had to be one of the first people that came up with dropshipping years before I even knew it was called dropshipping. And I, I had this Amazon account that I was using to buy and sell people's textbooks in college to make a little extra money. And I started experimenting with different products, eventually found baby products that I would drop ship from different retailers and eventually went around the retailers right to the manufacturers. And this was 2008 to 2010 when I first got started. And these manufacturers didn't know anything about e-commerce. So I went to them and said, hey, I'll list your products. I'll get you more sales. You keep my credit card on file. You ship the product where I tell you to. We both win in this situation. And they loved it. And it was obviously a great thing for me because I was in college and I had no money to buy inventory, no place to store inventory. And it was kind of the, the perfect business model. Um, but that business exploded. I mean, we sold, uh, Connor, my business partner, and I sold $25 million over seven years. And we struggled to hire for the first half of that. <laughs> we started off trying to hire college kids, which were super unreliable. Then we tried to hire adults, which was really hard as a 20-year-old college kid that no one took seriously. And that kind of led us by default to the virtual assistant world. Uh, a buddy of mine told me about a, a VA in the Philippines that I hired part-time, and she introduced me to more VAs. And we made every possible hiring mistake you could imagine when hiring virtual assistants, but eventually figured it out. And when we did figure it out, that changed everything. Not only was my life less stressful for the Amazon business because everything was running without me, the business grew, and we had all these VAs and freelancers but Amazon was starting to get harder. They were starting to crack down on dropshipping, change their algorithm. There were a lot more sellers and courses on selling that didn't exist for that initial time. And while, <laughs> while our Amazon business was still making money, it wasn't experiencing 100% growth year over year like it was in those first few years. So <clears throat> we kind of lost passion for, for selling on Amazon. We weren't selling our own products. We we were kind of dependent on Amazon's algorithm, and we just felt like everything was out of our control. But we had this awesome team of VAs that all knew Amazon very well. We had taught them how to do listings and customer service and all this stuff, and some of them were even seasonal. We didn't need them either full-time or we didn't need them throughout the whole year. And we'd been using Upwork and Fiverr for a while, and we always wanted like a, a faster, more efficient way to get e-commerce virtual assistants. We wanted to put in a request, get matched up with someone, have them start right away. We didn't want to interview a hundred people and figure out who knew e-commerce and who didn't. So that kind of gave us the idea to start offering RVAs to these different Amazon sellers. And we kind of did it as an experiment. We gave some sellers some free hours. I started to go to a conference or appear on a podcast or just network with other sellers. And people really liked it. They would say, hey, I need a e-commerce graphic designer. We'd match them up and that person would do the project the same day. And that was a way better experience than interviewing a lot of people on Upwork. And that's really what the free up marketplace started as. Um, we took that $5,000, like I said, we, we built, a, uh, or like you said, we built a, a very basic software that did very little. Clients could log in into their account and see their VA's hours, and the VA's could track their time on their end, and that's pretty much it. It didn't do anything else, and we kept track of everything on Google Sheets. And <clears throat> this business quickly surpassed our Amazon business to the point where we shut down the Amazon business. We started focusing on, on free up. 
it was exciting. It was our first opportunity to have our own website and our own brand and do B2B instead of B2C and learn SEO and marketing and podcasts and, and all the stuff that, that kind of goes into it. So we spent four years really um, focused only on free up, living, eating, breathing free up, starting to network and meet every possible person in the e-commerce space, go on every e-commerce podcast, get in front of every e-commerce community and be the, the go-to place uh, for, for e-commerce virtual assistants and freelancers. And we, I think that the, one of the things that, that we find cool is we got the business to doing, like you said, $12 million a year, but we never hired a U.S. employee. Our, our internal team was 30 VAs in the free, in the Philippines that we hired off our own marketplace. And, and obviously the marketplace had thousands of freelancers, US, non US, whatever. But our internal team that would talk to our customers that would help to communicate with the VAs and freelancers it was all from the Philippines. And when we finally sold it, we, we took $500,000 from the sale and gave it to our team and made sure their jobs were secure and that the new owners would kind of take good care of them. So um, yeah, that free up was a, a great adventure. That's an amazing journey and amazing story. And what I think is interesting about that is you were able to build a team that resided outside of the U.S. And a lot of these people were making decisions for your business. And that's one of the myths that I love to kind of dispel. A lot of people think that, you know, outsourcing is only meant for just finding virtual assistants, right? Just meaningless, mind-numbing tasks um, these people just need to, you know, do a bunch of data entry, right? I think that's the first thought that comes to people's mind when they talk about offshore hiring people offshore from my own experience with our 25 team members. And definitely with your experience, I would argue that you can find management level talent over overseas that can even run circles with a lot of us based talent. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I mean, I would put our free up team against anyone, um, any U.S. team out there. And, and that was the thing. Once we learn how to master virtual assistants, which wasn't easy, it took us a few years and we try to speed up the process with people in outsource school. Then we started to, to kind of push the limits. Like we started off with just data entry tasks. Like <laughs> you got to remember, I was selling on Amazon before there was a lot of software. So there were a lot of manual tasks. Like we would have to adjust our pricing because there was no repricing software or to update our inventory because there was no inventory management software. So they were doing all that stuff. And then we started to kind of push the limits and have them talk to customer service, talk to seller support and um, any kind of like, not suspensions, but any type of um, just issues that would come up with an ASN or, or whatever. <laughs> then, I mean, even past that and free up, we, we pushed the limit even further. If people wanted to set up a sales call, they'd be talking to someone in the, in the Philippines. If, if people go to outsourceschool.com right now and they're interested in joining and they book a sales call, you'll talk to someone on my team in the Philippines and you'll be wowed. I would put them against any salesperson out there. For free up, one of the best hires we ever made was a bookkeeper in the Philippines named Marius. And not only was he in charge of the monthly books, which we made all our decisions on, but he also was in charge of billing clients every week and paying freelancers every week. And all that is incredibly important to a marketplace because the second you miss a virtual assistance payment, they don't trust you anymore and they don't want to work with you anymore. So we tried to push the limits as much as possible and give them as much responsibility as possible. And, and it really paid off, even though it was nerve wracking, maybe at the beginning. Awesome. I love that. Nathan, I want to dive into, you know, your experience a little bit more with free up. How did you source a lot of your talent there? Did you have to go over into the Philippines and, 
kind of get integrated into colleges and things like that to build your your pool of talent there? Um, because I think outside of Upwork and Fiverr, those are like the standard things that, you know, come to people's mind. But I would assume you were you weren't just going to Upwork and finding your talent there for free up. How are you finding really good talent outside of those two platforms? Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, I've only been to the Philippines once about year three of free up and we only ran it for four years. We did a big like celebration in the Philippines. We ran a conference. We said, whoever wants to come can come and it's optional. And we had lots of people show up and we then took our internal team out to resort. So we were not going back and forth to the Philippines to find talent, only been there once. Um, so we kind of, whenever you start a marketplace and this is why starting a marketplace is hard there's always a chicken or the egg situation, right? You got you get clients first or VAs first, and if you don't have a good balance there, it kind of throws off the entire business. With FreeUp, we had an advantage because we already had an Amazon business with all these virtual assistants and freelancers that we knew, we trusted, we knew they take a good care of our clients, and we could communicate with them, and, and we built trust with them. So we started off with those group of people, <coughs> and we quickly ran out of people because uh, they were all being given out to our clients. So then what we did was we created a referral program. We said, anyone that you refer to free up, you get 50 cents for every hour that we build to um, that, that virtual assistant worked forever. So it was a big incentive for VAs mm -hmm. that like free up to tell other people. Then we would, our marketing plan for free up was pretty much podcasts, partnerships, content, um, networking and just relationship building and then influencers. So while we were doing all five things on the, the B2B side, on the client side, we were doing the same thing on the, the VA side. <laughs> we found influencers in the Philippines that ran Facebook groups of uh, virtual assistants mm. or that taught a course or that were coaches. Um, we found all the VA and freelancer blogs and got backlinks in all those places. Um, we did different email blasts with people that had audience of VAs and freelancers and our biggest thing was it was very tough to get on the marketplace. We would accept one out of every 100 applicants. And we'd get people that were pissed off because they didn't get into FreeUp or all that. That's kind of unavoidable. But the people that got into FreeUp, we made sure they were extremely happy, not just the clients. Mm. We obviously want to make sure the clients were happy, but the VAs and the freelancers too. And we wanted to make it so that they felt heard. Now, there's some basic stuff you do, like pay them on time, which we kind of talked about, where if you don't do those things, you break trust. But there's other things you can go do to go above and beyond where we would ask them for feedback and what they liked and what they didn't like. And let's say that there was a, an in-between where the client and the VA weren't happy with each other. Yes, if the VA got bad reviews, we'd kick them off the platform. But sometimes there were just disagreements where FreeUp would yeah. just bite the bullet and make both sides happy. And the VA would go make us money working on other clients. And hopefully the client would stick around and vice versa. So as much as possible, we tried to just keep everyone happy with the platform and, and moving forward. And that kind of created this aurora around free up as this, this great place to work. And then you throw in that referral program and all of a sudden you've got free marketing going out everywhere of all these applicants to the point where we were getting a thousand applicants a week to get on our platform. Yeah. I love that. Well, and I think on that note, this kind of will transition our conversation into that outsource school and that program that you're currently teaching other business owners of how they can go hire overseas talent. And but I think the most important thing and you alluded to this is you are turning away 99 out of 100 applicants. Right. Right. And, you know, I was I was recently on a podcast with Michael Gerber. And one thing that he said when I asked him the question, how do you find 
A-level talent, right? What he said is you need to turn your recruiting in to what they've done with the Navy SEALs, right? How easy is it to get into the Navy SEALs? It is not easy. And they put you through everything in order to just apply and get into the program, right? So likewise, I think for business owners, having that different mindset shift of, hey, I'm not just, I'm not just looking for a warm body or somebody that says, hey, I can do marketing, right? You have to take them through their own, you know, program that's going to vet them out. So Nathan, I would love to hear what was, you know, your process in terms of vetting um, these candidates out to where you were able to weed out 99. And how did you find that one diamond in the rough? Yeah, I, I love what Michael Gerber said. I think the one thing I'd add to that that some people miss is you have to make it a place that people want to work, um, whether it's an internal team, whether it's freelance on the platform. In my situation, like you got to make it so they're they're paid well, that the hours and the schedule they're happy with, that they're going to be treated fairly. A lot of people will try to hire VAs and put these in, put them in these really bad positions and then they wonder why they don't get any applicants. But in terms of our interview process, and this is what we teach at Outsource School, it comes down to skill, attitude, and communication. That's what we look for. We don't, a lot of people fall into the trap of just hiring for skill. They want, they get someone with five years of experience on Amazon and they're like, boom, this person's hired and then it blows up and they wonder why it doesn't work out. And then they don't trust hiring people anymore, even with a good skill. For us, we treat skill as one part of the equation. It's one out of the three and we weigh it just as high as the other ones. For obviously skills important. We want someone who <clears throat> knows what they're doing. I, I always give the example of, we had this client with FreeUp, who was a great client, who sold auto parts on, on eBay and on Amazon, and he would hire customer service people. You don't want to teach someone cars and teach them customer service and then teach them how you want it done. You want someone who already liked cars, who already has years of customer service experience, and then you just teach them the way that you want it done. So that's kind of how we look at everything. We want someone with the relevant experience that's done 90% of it, and then we can just teach them that last 10%. For communication, we want someone who can get on the same page quickly. A lot of times there's language barriers, there's culture barriers, but you need someone that you can communicate with at a high level. And when we interview people, we interview people in the same way that we're going to normally communicate with them. If, if they're going to be doing a lot of calls and Zoom calls, we're going to Zoom with them. If we're mostly going to communicate with them on Slack, I'm going to do. I'm going to communicate with them via Slack and do the whole interview on Slack. In an outsource school, we have videos of us doing Slack interviews so you can see exactly what it looks like. And if I'm expecting to work with this person on Slack for eight hours a day and I'm interviewing them and they're not responding quickly, I can't understand what they're saying. They can't understand what I'm saying. We're not, there's no meeting of the minds. We're not on the same page. They're not giving me clear, direct answers. Well, guess how that's going to go when I'm slacking with them for eight hours a day during their, their normal working. So that's kind of an example there. And then attitude is we want people, and, and this could be different depending on, on what your culture is. <clears throat> but we want people who love doing what they're doing. If they're a graphic designer, they love being a graphic designer more than anything else in the world. If they're a bookkeeper, they love being a bookkeeper more than anything else in the world. We don't want people who are just in it for a job, just in it for the money. We don't want people who are where money is more important than anything else. We want people who care about growth and opportunities and, um, and maybe they care about stability and they want something long term and they want to problem solve and they understand that startups are not perfect and there's going to be bumps in the road, but they can handle that and they can handle stress. So we have a, a list of questions we give out now, school, school, where we go through 
part by point part in the interview, skill, attitude, communication. And only when someone has all three, then do we move on. And then that next step that a lot of people miss is the, the what we call onboarding, which is really just setting expectations. This is the schedule you're expected to work. You're expected to have backup power, backup internet. This is what happens when you lose internet. You don't just disappear for a week. You go somewhere where you can work. Um, this is what we will and will not put up within the company. And for, for lack of a better word, you almost want to scare them a little bit because you, you don't want, you, you want them to know what they're getting into. You don't want there to be any surprises down the line. You don't want them to not be able to handle it. If they can't handle what is hopefully your high expectations, you'd much rather they back out during that onboarding than to figure that out four weeks down the line when you've already invested time, energy, and money into training. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love that onboarding process that you just mentioned, um, that you're setting the expectations up front, right? And I also believe that A-level talent is attracted to A-level talent. They want to be playing with the ballers, right? They want to be associated with another team of highly skilled individuals that can rely on each other. They don't want to be the one that has to be making up or, you know, taking on additional work because somebody else isn't keeping up with the pace. And so likewise in our own business, that's something that we value. It's one of our core values is we do what we say we're going to do. And that's what our team knows. So right from the onset, those expectations is so, so important. So I appreciate you sharing that. I wanted to also follow up real quick here on the idea of, you know, you're assessing candidates on skill, attitude, and their communication. But I don't think you are interviewing, right? I don't think you were probably spending 30-minute interviews with 100 applicants just to find one, right? Is there a way that you found to kind of streamline that process so that you could, you know, even have a 1,000 applicants, so to speak, and that's not taking you 1,000 times 30 minutes in order to go through all of those applicants. Yeah, no, great point. So there's a, a few ways you can go about this. One is you have your job posting, right? That is all the specifications that of what you're looking for in someone. It could be schedule, it could be background or skills or, or whatever. And you create some kind of type form where you, where you go question by question and have them actually answer that. Because you'll find a lot of people will apply to jobs when they don't fit all the criteria. And if you make them go through a type form where they have to answer each question one by one, then you can just quickly eliminate all the people that don't fit their criteria. You can even add some open-ended questions on why you want the job or tell us about yourself. And then that'll help you quickly narrow it down to those people. The other way is if it's a skill um, type role. So an example is Ecom Balance, my monthly bookkeeping service. We're obviously not going to hire someone if they're not good at bookkeeping. I don't care how good of their their attitude and their their communication is. And uh, like an interview, you're not necessarily going to figure out how good of a bookkeeper they are. So we created a bookkeeping test. And with Free Up, we had a different skill tests that we would put people through. If they were an Amazon lister, we had an Amazon skill test. So before they even get to the interview, they have to pass the test. Most people won't pass the test or won't take, spend the time to take the test. And then only the people that pass the test then go to the interview. So you've already verified the skill before you even get to that last level. That makes sense. So you are using test projects then for almost every single role to make sure that they could even complete that. They had the skill, right? That's your prerequisite to even get get your foot in the door. Then we'll talk attitude and 
communication. Is that correct? Yeah, if it's a skill type role. If it's something like customer service, you're usually not going to do that, although you could create a customer service test. But you are giving them open-ended questions in the type form where you can see their writing or say, hey, respond to an email, write a fake email, whatever it is. Okay. What's your experience with hiring like senior management level staff? Um, Do you have any advice or recommendations as to how do you go find like a C-level or director level position overseas? It's tough. It is by far one of the hardest things to do. So this is kind of how I look at it. You can hire managers and senior people to come in. There's a lot of things working against you. Not only do you have to find someone with the right skill and the right managerial experience, but it's also a very tough thing to test for. But you also have to find someone that instantly fits in with your team and that your team will respect. So if I already have five VAs and I'm bringing in Bob to manage these five VAs, I need to know that those five VAs are going to like Bob, trust Bob, and that Bob's going to be able to handle it. And it takes a little bit of time to figure actually figure that out. So you could go a month or two before actually knowing if someone's a good manager. My strong preference, and this is what we've really been able to do at all our companies, is to always promote from within for managerial roles. And it also makes it so that your first hires at any company are unbelievably key. If you're making your first four hires at your company, you want to hire people that have management experience, that have leadership experience, that want it, that a lot of people don't want to be leaders, don't want to be managers. So these are conversations you want to have with your initial hires. You don't want to just hire the data entry VA, um, you want to hire someone who's maybe overqualified for that initial role and let them know if they prove themselves, you're going to be looking for a leadership role in the future. And we did a great job with that at FreeUp. We had Chicky Ann, who was on our Amazon team, who we promoted from within there, and she became head of, of recruitment. We hired a bookkeeper and then made him the head of bookkeeping, Marius, like I said. And then we had two people, Jane and Layden, who <laughs> started off just doing like customer emails and then eventually became the two heads of customer service. We needed two of them because we had 24-7 customer service, but that's kind of how we've always done it. And with Econ Balance, the initial bookkeepers we hired, we made sure they had leadership and management experience, and they're now the senior bookkeepers and the team leaders of Econ Balance. So it's always easier to promote from within. It's less risky. It's usually cheaper, leads to less issues. There are situations where you're not able to do that, but my personal preference is to always promote from within. That makes a lot of sense. And I would echo 100% what you said there in terms of those key, those initial hires are key hires. Same thing, even when we've hired a customer service role for our business or an Amazon assistant or an Amazon specialist or supply chain specialist, it's not just to do the, the data entry or the current tasks that we have assigned to them. Each one of them I have wanted to see that they have management level talent with inside them, that they've had that experience managing other people. They've been promoted consistently in the past in the hopes that you're going to fill this role and then be able to fill even more roles in the future. So I think that's super important. Nathan, is there any experience that you have then um, with poaching at all, like management level staff? Uh, no, I don't think I've ever poached like that. I'm trying to think. There have been situations where we've 
talked about it, like hiring bookkeepers initially was a little bit different. So we were like, hey, should we try to get bookkeepers from other companies? But we never really went down that. With FreeUp, it was kind of nice because like we had a marketplace of VAs and freelancers, so we didn't really have a need to to go poach them. The, I think the closest thing to that is if we always want to hire full-time and long-term. That's always the goal. Now, when you're starting a business, you don't necessarily know if your business is going to succeed or be able to afford that. So there's been plenty of situations where we've hired someone part-time, and then we essentially have gone to them and said, what do we need to do to make you full-time with us, exclusive to us, and drop all your other clients? And then we've negotiated a rate increase, they drop the other clients, and that's probably the, the closest we've ever done to, to poaching. But I don't think we've ever gone into another person's company and just tried to, to steal them away. Fair enough. Fair enough. Nathan, is there any watch outs, um, and this is not legal advice um, or tax advice, but are there any watchouts for hiring overseas talent in terms of when it comes to, you know, taxes, right? Or when it comes to setting up those contractor agreements to make sure that if you get audited by the IRS, that they see that as a valid business expense, number one, right? Or that you don't get fined for anything else. Do you have any experience or clients that have been audited? They came through it, you know, clean or anything like that? I don't have many clients that have been audited. I think my overall advice is, one, talk to your CPA about it. It should be something that you should disclose to them and get their advice and handle it the way that they want to be handled it. And two, just read the terms of use of any marketplaces, agencies that you're, you're working with because there's kind of – there's different ways to go about it. You can do a direct hire where you pay them via PayPal. You can go through an agency where they're an employee of that agency. You can do a marketplace where you're hiring through the marketplace, but the payments are through the marketplace. So all three of those are a little bit different from like a legal and a tax standpoint. So my advice would be to just talk to your CPA. If you have a lawyer, talk to your lawyer about it. Everything's a little bit different. It usually ends up being not as risky as some people think it is. But um, yeah, that's kind of the only thing I'll speak to it on that. Fair enough. <laughs> you mentioned there's kind of multiple ways that you could hire outsource staff, right? You could go direct to them, right? And hire them on a marketplace or go through an agency or you could just hire them direct, right? You find them from the Philippines, could be like an Indeed job posting, and you hire them direct. Um, with your outsource school, is there any advice or recommendation that you try to point people towards? And maybe what are the pros and cons with each of those three alternatives? Yeah, so we point people to either hiring through a marketplace or hiring direct. Um, we try to avoid the agency thing. There are good agencies out there where it works. There's also agencies out there where if you don't know a lot about hiring, you can get fast ones pulled over on you where they'll switch people on you and you won't know or you won't have control over your people or they'll take your people away from you. And if you're going to invest time, energy, and money into working with someone, you want to have some control. And from there, it's kind of like pros and cons. So like the nice thing about a marketplace is the payments are automatic. If you use a marketplace like FreeUp and a VA quits, they cover all replacement costs and get you a new person. If you have an issue with the VA, you have someone to go to and contact their customer service, and hopefully they make it right in some way. And obviously, the pro of hiring direct is it can sometimes be cheaper, um, but the con is you're, you're on your own. If you hire someone direct and you spend a month training them and they disappear – you don't really have anyone to go to. There's no repercussions or anything like that. So it's it's less about like the right way and more about the pros and cons. And in outdoor school, we just try to teach you the pros and cons while also educating you on ways to prevent some of those cons from happening. So 
<laughs> a good thing if you hire someone directly, for example, is to get a copy of their license and get an emergency contact number. And it's super easy. Most people aren't going to just give you their license and then just disappear without notice. They still could, but it's all about just lowering the risk and protecting yourself um, as, as much as possible. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, as we kind of recap this entire conversation that has centered around, you know, hiring A-level talent outsourced, you know, overseas, what is the process? Could you give her a, give us a high-level process that you walk through and you teach on Outsource School um, that, you know, this is where you start. Here's the first thing you need to do is X, Y, Z to, you know, step 20 is onboarding, right? Would you mind giving us kind of a high-level overview of what that process looks like that you teach? Yeah, so let's say that we're taking someone that has never hired someone before. Chances are you're not just going to go out and hire five full-time virtual assistants. You want to start small. You're going to make a list of all the things you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. You're going to outline them by how long they take you and also the difficulty of the task and how long they, they and how it actually impacts your business because you want to start on something low risk. If, you, if you're hiring a VA for the first time, you're probably not putting them in charge of the inventory of your e-commerce business. I go on podcasts, and I always use podcasts as a good example. It's a great way to, to get your foot started hiring a VA. Hire a VA for five hours a week to get you on podcasts. We have a podcast outreach formula you can give right to your virtual assistant. It's part of Outsource School. It's pretty easy. It's very effective. And what's the worst thing that can happen if the VA messes up? You don't get on podcasts. You're not going to really burn any bridges, nothing bad is going to happen to you, very low risk. At the same time, you're going to learn a lot about hiring VAs. You can give them a different role if they if you learn to trust them. You can increase their hours. You can do all sorts of things. So try to find something that's low risk to start with and something that's just part-time to, to get your foot wet. From there, you create a job posting, which we provide templates for over 100 different job posting in Outdoor School that you can just grab and use and save yourself a bunch of time. From there, it's about what we talked about with the type form and setting up any tests. From there, it's an interview via Slack, which we give you the interview questions. We give you a video on how to do it. You just go through it. From there, it's setting expectations. Same thing. We give you all the things to set expectations for. You just go through the list. Both the interview and the, the setting expectations takes about 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how complex complicated that the role is. Um, and from there, it's all about training them. And, and we break you through exactly our step-by-step process on how to train them effectively. And once you have someone trained, that's where the, the fun begins. And it's all about setting up meetings and incentives and um, handling any issues that come up effectively, because the solution to all issues isn't just fire the person, get a new VA. There are ways to problem solve the issues and turn things around. So that's kind of the the, the process that Outsource School looks like. But it all starts with figuring out what you're going to hire for, having a good job posting, and doing that interviewing and onboarding to get that person rolling. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Sounds like there's a lot of content there at Outsource School. Um, so why don't you go ahead and, and give a little plug to Outsource School then? Where, where can people reach out and learn more about that? Yeah, go to OutsourceSchool.com. You can book a sales call with, with my great virtual assistant, Anna, and she'll blow you away. And we have a lot of res- free resources on there as well. If you want to grab our um, our VA calculator to figure out how to budget for hiring VAs, we have a case study that shows exactly who we hired in year one, two, three, and four free ops. You can kind of follow our path there. We've got a hiring packet for you, a free trial, all sorts of different stuff. And our newsletter there gives out a lot of great content too, if you just want to follow along. Amazing. Amazing. That's a great resource. Definitely encourage our listeners to go check out Outsource School. 
Now, Nathan, I want to pivot our conversation now to the accounting side of things. So it seems odd that, of all things, you're focused first on, you know, outsourcing talent and then, you know, outsource school. That makes sense. You're teaching your processes and sharing them with everybody else. Super valuable. But so why? Why go into the accounting with Ecom Balance now? Yeah. So keep in mind, we sold FreeUp. We have a non-compete with FreeUp. We probably wouldn't start a, a new virtual assistant business anyway, even if we didn't have a non-compete. And Outsource School is a nice segue, especially during the pandemic. People were asking us for our hiring process. We created that. But we're probably not doing anything else around VAs and freelancers. Now, bookkeeping is something that... It, it's been a backbone of all of our businesses. When we started an Amazon business, we had no idea what bookkeeping was. We made all the mistakes in the world from trying to do it ourselves to paying someone to redo it, to, to dumping it on our account at the end of the year, to hiring someone quarterly, to finally figuring out to hire a good bookkeeper monthly to give us good information to make good decisions every single month. And that's really what bookkeeping comes down to. There's a lot of perks like not being stressed during tax time and obviously filing accurate taxes and all the stuff around that. But the real reason that you want bookkeeping as an entrepreneur is to make good business decisions based on real numbers every single month, not making decisions based on gut, not making it by guesses, not waiting to the end of the year or when it's too late. You want to be making those decisions every single month. So <clears throat> that's something that when we put in place in our Amazon business, we were able to grow and, and make better decisions. And with FreeUp, one of the best decisions we ever made was hiring that bookkeeper, Marius, from day one. Before we were even profitable, we just had a monthly report come to us. The month would end. By the 15th of the month, we got income statement, balance sheet, cash flow. We had a, a financial meeting on our calendar every single month, which we've been doing every year, every month since, where we go through it top to bottom, me and my business partner. And that's the meeting that we make decisions. Are we going to offer a new service, cut back on software, hire more people? All those decisions are based on what the books come out with. Now, <clears throat> there's an added bonus that when we went to sell our company, we had immaculate books going back four years. And when we had those initial conversations with the buyer, Mark Hargrove, David Martin, two really good entrepreneurs, they asked us a lot about the business. And a lot of those questions had to do with numbers. And since we had gone through these finances, finances in the finance meeting every month for the past four years, we knew these numbers inside and out. And then when we got to due diligence and we turned over our books, not only were the books clean and easy to read, but they also matched everything we told them on those initial calls because we knew our books very well and that built a lot of trust. So bookkeeping, although it's boring and it's the most unsexy topic um, in history when it comes to, to being a business owner, it is the, the core of your business. And if you want to talk about two things that are not talked about enough, it's hiring and bookkeeping. If, if you don't know how to hire, you're not going to go very far as an entrepreneur. There's very few eight-figure solo entrepreneurs out there. If you're not good at not necessarily doing the bookkeeping, but being able to read financial reports and setting up a good bookkeeping process in your business, that's only going to hold you back. It's going to be impossible to ever sell your business or get funding or get investments or whatever you decide to do. And you're also not going to be making decisions based on accurate numbers. So that's kind of how we, we, we've always looked at bookkeeping and we kind of saw an opportunity where most bookkeeping firms are 
bad at hiring, bad at scaling, bad at marketing, bad at process, bad at speaking entrepreneurship instead of speaking bookkeeping. So we've tried to build, bring the entrepreneur mentality to bookkeeping where I'm not a bookkeeper. My business partner is not a bookkeeper. We've always been good at hiring bookkeepers and setting up good bookkeeping process, but we know what the entrepreneur wants. We know how they want to get a quote, get onboarded, get communicated with, what kind of customer service they need, how, how to support them long-term. And that kind of gave us the idea a year ago to create not only Econ Balance for e-commerce sellers, but we have a second bookkeeping brand called Accounts Balance um, that's for, for digital businesses. Awesome. Amazing. With that, Nathan, I think that the financers are so fundamental to a business. And just as you alluded to in the accounting and being able to make decisions around that. Surprisingly, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that they, they are scared about numbers. Um, they don't understand how to read financial statements. And so they just kind of try to turn a blind eye to it and they just look at the overall numbers. So, Nathan, I'm curious, what are the top mistakes that you see entrepreneurs making when it comes to bookkeeping and documenting their finances? Yeah. So the number one mistake is trying to do bookkeeping yourselves. And this is why it blew my mind when we created Econ Balance. We were looking at other bookkeeping services and they were selling courses on how to do bookkeeping. And to me, that's crazy. As an entrepreneur, that is a terrible use of your time to learn how to use QuickBooks and then try to be in QuickBooks. And even if you are good at it, like that's time that could be spent on sales, marketing, expansion, growing your business, not a good use of time. And <laughs> nine times out of 10, you're, not, you're still not going to know what you're doing, even if you are um, taking a course, and you're just going to have to pay someone to redo it all later, um, and, and it's not going to work out. And even if you are a, a bookkeeper or a CPA in a past life, I would still argue that it's not a good use of your time. Another mistake people will do is they'll have their CPA do also do their bookkeeping, or they'll dump it on their CPA at the end of the year. Well, not only are CPAs more expensive, but they're doing bookkeeping in a way to file their taxes, your taxes. They're not doing bookkeeping in a way to actually help you make decisions on your business, which is what you need. And we've always found that dividing and conquering, having a bookkeeper and a good CPA is important, that are both focused on what they're good at. There's our CPA saves us money on taxes. Our bookkeeper provides us books on time that we can make decisions on, and they can communicate. There's um, conversations and meeting of the minds and being able to use both people's talents to get you the best outcome. And CPAs get busy. They have their own tax season and busy season in April and October where it's tough for them to be on a good monthly schedule and you want your books on time every single month. So I try to get entrepreneurs out of the mentality of using their own books, of doing their own books, out of the mentality of using a CPA for books and out of the mentality of anything other than monthly bookkeeping, not quarterly, not every six months. If you want to do it even more than than monthly, that's fine too. But at the very least, a good monthly bookkeeping process with that finance meeting every single month in your calendar that you do not miss for any reason. That makes a lot of sense. And in your experience, you're able to find an outsourced accounting manager, right? That was able to produce those books for you. Do you believe that people can bring that internally? You can. It's probably one of the harder positions to hire for. I mean, if you do join Outsource School, we have a, a whole course on hiring virtual assistant bookkeepers, essentially, out of the Philippines. Um, it can be done. If you don't know bookkeeping, if you're not going to be on top of them, um, if you're not going to manage them, then it it could lead to um, disaster. But, I mean, 
that's definitely an option, and, and we've tried to provide a hybrid. I mean, our team for Econ Balance is both U.S. and non-U.S. Um, in the Philippines, and so you kind of get a best of both worlds where it's fair pricing but a high level of service, and things are reviewed by the U.S. people before they go out. And I mean, you can go a step above and hire a CFO. You can hire a U.S. bookkeeper. There, there's no shortage of options. You just have to figure out what the best option is for your business. There's even businesses that hire full-time U.S. bookkeepers because their business is so big, so complicated that they need uh, $80,000 a year bookkeeper only working for them. So everything's kind of on the table. You just have to figure out what the best fit is for, for you. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Now, Nathan, as we begin to wrap up, I want to go back. A question popped in my mind. If you want to go and approach or if you want to go hire direct, right? If we want to go find an Amazon PPC manager over in the Philippines or anywhere else, um, what are some of the best platforms or ways to get your job posting out there in order to attract that outsourced talent? I know we've talked about marketplaces such as Upwork, FreeUp, and we've got Fiverr and those type of things. But outside of that, how do you go direct and and hire for those people? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, if you're not going to go marketplace, if you're going to go direct, Facebook groups are, are a good place to start. You can use those. Um, there's different free job boards. There's my personal favorite, which is referrals and talking to other e-commerce sellers, talking to other um, Amazon freelancers. Um, that's a good way to, to kind of go about it as well. And the other one that I haven't done a lot of, but I know people that do, is running ads. You can run ads on Facebook. You can run ads on LinkedIn, um, places like that, where if you do get the applicants, you're able to, to actually hire them directly. Awesome. So Facebook groups, LinkedIn, those are some great recommendations. Now, Nathan, as we begin to wrap up the episode, I love to leave our guests with three, or I love to leave our listeners with three actionable takeaways from each episode. So I've jotted down three actionable takeaways. Nathan, let me know if you think I'm missing something after I go through these. Number one, as you begin to build your team, Nathan alluded to this, you're not going to be able to be a solopreneur with an eight-figure business. That is extremely rare. Does it happen? Yes, it has happened, but that is much more of a rarity. So if you have desires to grow your business, you need to understand that you are going to have to uh, be, able, be able to build a team and you yourself have to become a leader and a manager and you will have your own evolution. So number one, what you need to do is get really good at identifying the roles that you need for your business right now, and then project over the next 24 months, what are the future roles that I'm going to need for this business as the business continues to grow and scale. So number one is kind of creating that organizational chart for your business, and then being able to project what that org chart should look like 18 to 24 months from now so that you can start strategically planning your growth. Action item number two, Nathan did a great job highlighting the importance of this when we asked him, hey, how do you go hire management level staff overseas? The key here in the action item is when you hire a VA or for any role in your business, you should be hiring that person with the intention that this person has management level abilities and skills so that you could see them not just filling this role today that you're hiring them for, but you see them filling management level roles and being able to continue to grow within the business. Because obviously that type of player or team member is going to be an A-level 
uh, team member and bring A-level talent with them. And in addition to that, you talk about referrals. They are also are going to be associated with other A-level talent as well. Now, final action item, step number three here is getting your books in order so that you can make business decisions based off of those books. If you are not currently reviewing your financials on a monthly basis, we do that as well with our business. Nathan talked about the importance of doing it with his business as well. If you're not doing that and making your business decisions based off of the results that you see coming out of those monthly financial meetings, then start doing that today. Because in order to scale to those eight figures and beyond, the bookkeeping and having that finance, those finances in order is the backbone, backbone and life structure of all of that. So, Nathan, is there anything that you think I missed out of those actionable takeaways? No, those are those are great. That was a good summary. Awesome. All right, Nathan, I love to ask each guest my final three questions. So we'll go from the top here. What's been the most influential book that you've read and why? I like to start with why that always kind of changes my perspective on um, just entrepreneurship in general. I think my why has kind of changed over the years. It started off as like a broke college kid. So your why is money, but it's kind of evolved from that and being able to work with people around the world and help other entrepreneurs succeed and, and accomplish their dreams. Um, and even now, just like being a foster parent and a, a soon to be biological parent, um, your why's kind of evolve over time. So it, it's a great book. That's amazing. And congrats on the upcoming birth. And, you. Uh, you know, congratulations on what you're doing. Foster parenting is so important in this world as well. Appreciate it. Let's go to question number two. What is your favorite productivity tool or software that you've recently discovered that you think is going to be a game changer? <laughs> it's a good question. I, productivity's tool. Honestly, I use Apple just notepad more than anything else. I'm always just leaving myself notes, writing notes, uh, any ideas that I have, and I'm like working out or, or on a run or whatever it is. I'm always just jotting stuff down. So that's probably what I use more than anything else. I mean, we use Slack and Trello and all that kind of stuff, but I don't, I'm not like a a huge app guy where I'm, I'm like tracking my sleep or, or anything like that. Easy enough. Simple, simple is the simplicity of it, right? You don't need to uh, get too complicated. I love it. All right. Last question. Who is somebody that you admire or respect in the e-commerce space and why? It's funny. I was actually going to say Chad Rubin, and then I remembered that Chad referred me to this podcast. Um, but Michael Mayer, who is actually a freelancer on FreeUp, so I met him there, and then he was a client of mm. FreeUp, and now he runs a, a e-commerce agency and crushing it, and I get to see him at conferences and stuff. Uh, you, you nodded your head, so maybe you already know him. But, um, yeah, he's a good guy in the space. Awesome. Very good recommendations from you, Nathan. Nathan, if people want to continue to follow you and learn more about what you have going on, where can people find you and reach out to you? Yeah, go to OutdoorSchool.com, EconBalance.com, Nathan Hirsch on any social media channel. Feel free to hit me up. I always love networking with other entrepreneurs, and thanks for having me on. Awesome. Nathan, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.